Uh, the Black Pearl, it is at Outback today, those of you that will be going to that. And uh, by the way, <clears throat> Elizabeth, her husband, went to be with Jesus, and uh, tomorrow at the VA at the, at, in Medical Lake at 1.30, if I'm not mistaken, uh, will be the service there. And uh, so uh, we are praying for all of you as well, that God will just comfort you tomorrow. Well, praise the Lord. We are uh, in a series called Dealing with Challenging People. By the way, you're going to be hearing all month long about converge groups. I really you know, encourage you to kind of pay attention to those and uh, are the mission of the church that God has really given us, which is a mission that every church ultimately has. It's just said in different ways, but reach unchurched people is number one what is unchurched people well it's first off those who don't know the lord haven't given their life to jesus have had have no relationship with him the second one is is that there's a lot of people who have accepted the lord as their savior but for a variety of reasons haven't been attending church anywhere for say like three years uh so uh those are folks that you know we're saying god help help us figure out how we can make a difference in reconnecting people or connecting for the first time people relationally with you and then the other part of it is to is to raise up mature christians and so there's a disciple process and how do we grow in the lord and so there's it through the converge groups there's going to be some great opportunities and i encourage you to to consider uh, being a part of that and uh, so you you'll see more of that coming up here during the course of this month today we're continuing on in a series dealing with challenging people how many people here can lift your hand and say i can think of some challenging people in my life i have to deal with <clears throat> how many would uh, courageously lift your hand and say they're sitting next to me don't raise your hand don't don't do that <laughs> oh yeah well jason you're allowed to you go ahead you, uh, the and so we've been talking about there are different ways in which relationships and people can be somewhat challenging and so the one we're going to be talking today is the overly needy now matthew chapter 9 verse 36 says that jesus was talking it says but when jesus saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. Now, as we talk today about the overly needy and what that means, there's a couple things that we should probably pay good attention to. And, and one of those things is this, that the, the fact that we're dealing with, with people that are experiencing uh, a deep need in their life, regardless of what it is, whether it's financial or relational, emotional, social, whatever, it, whatever that deep need is, means that it's very personal and we should deal with such things with great sensitivity uh, because it goes to the very heart of, of how we're viewing life and perceiving it ourselves. And so we should always deal with that uh, very sensitively because God cares about and loves people regardless of the level of their need. The other thing that really is very important for us to never forget, and that is this, that as followers of Jesus... We should always be the people that are known for caring about needy people. That's this, we should be people who have a heart for those who are in need. We should have a deep heart of compassion. And the activities that match that deep heart of compassion 
for anyone who is poor or downcast or outcast. We should be uh, ex extremely generous in how we do all that we can to support people or to help people, I should say, that, that are in need. In fact, there, there's, a, there's a good high probability that in either of our two services or both of our services today, there will be a number of people that are desperately needy, uh, that have some real need in their life, and they're genuine. And uh, we discover oftentimes that a lot of those same people are too embarrassed to say anything. They don't want anybody to know. And so they just kind of go on in life and they just suffer under the burden of that because they don't want to, they don't want to come off as overly needy. They don't want that. And so they just kind of suffer quietly with the deep need that they have. And I think it is really our responsibility as followers of Jesus to, to be observant, to pay attention of, of folks around us and to do everything we can as God gives us ability to and God gives a heart to, to do everything we can to be of help to those who are in need. <clears throat> now today, when I'm talking about the overly needy, I'm not really talking about any of those folks that I just described. When I'm talking about overly needy, I'm talking about the people who who oftentimes have been helped and helped and helped and helped, and it seems like the help that they get never gains any traction because it seems like the, that somehow they're, they're consistently making decisions that tend to blow up the help that you might have for them. And though you really have tried, it seems like it's an ongoing, the, the, the need seems to never, ever help them when you help them that help almost sometimes appears to to actually keep them in the position of need rather than helping them get out of that need when we were pastoring in Oregon uh, there was a a man there he is uh, a few years ago passed away and uh, he's he's number he's probably five six years or so I suppose younger than I am and and uh, while we were there uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was not married, never was married. Everybody in the church loved him. He was, uh, you know, everybody really liked him a lot. Somewhere along the line, he became emotionally very, and I'll say overly needy of me. And uh, I, I recall that when we would, we would be gone, Arlene and I would be gone for a period of time, we would, we would have him come over to our house and, and he would house sit for us. And first couple of times that worked out really well. But one of the occasions we came here to Spokane and we were visiting my dad, mom and family and, and uh, we, we called him and we, we said, hey, we're, we're going to be back home on you know, this particular day. And, and uh, then uh, we got home on, on a Saturday evening and it was a little bit late, and on Sunday morning, I was going to have to preach. So when we got home Saturday night, we went in the house, and he was it was like he'd totally forgotten or something. He was completely shocked that we were there, gathered up his stuff. He, you could tell that he was kind of discombobulated a little bit, and he just gathered up his stuff and rushed out the door, hardly even said, hey, welcome home or anything, you know, and grabbed up a few of his stuff, and out he went. And, and what we noted was that the house was, uh, and I, I don't mean this to be harsh towards him. I'm telling you this to, to point out um, his mindset. Our, our home was, was, was not well taken care of. It was, it was quite a mess. Uh, it, was, it was very badly a mess. And um, 
So the next morning, I get up and I got to get ready for church. So I get up and I, and as I normally would, I get my clothes ready, all get it all ready and set before I'm going to take a shower. And so I go to the closet and I'm going to get a shirt for, to wear to church on Sunday morning and slacks and stuff. And I go in there. There's none of, none of my shirts are there. There's none of my pants are there. I, I go to my dresser drawer and there's none of my stuff there, you know. You know, uh, I'm, I'm missing some very, very important stuff because I'm not planning on going seal style to church this morning. I'm missing some stuff. And uh, so our, I said, don't, I don't have anything, anything. I don't have socks. I don't have stuff to put on. I, I got nothing. And so Arlene was a little shaken by that. So she, and, and as I, I was confused, she was shaken. She called him up on the phone and said, hey, Gary's trying to get ready for church and, and uh, he's, he's missing shirts and pants and underwear and, and socks and, you know, what, what, what happened to all this stuff? And the guy said, he sheepishly said, well, he said, ah, he said I, didn't have my, I didn't have time to wash my own clothes and so I decided to borrow his. I told Arlene, I said, let him know, do not bring any of them back. I am. I don't want you know. So I had to go out and buy new buy new stuff, and uh, uh, then what we discovered was is that we would actually see him. Some it would be by accident. We'd be in the house, you know, in the evening, like in the summer. It's nice outside. It gets darker later, so it's still kind of light out. And just all of a sudden, we'd get a glimpse of him. He'd be hiding behind bushes in front of our house, and I'd go out there and say, "What are you doing?" You know, and, and oh, and he'd step out, you know, and he'd talk to me, and and uh, and, and that would happen frequently, and then I'd find that uh, he'd be standing outside the window of my office. He'd just stand out there, you know. He'd just kind of be standing out there, and he and I'd I'd pound on the window and, and say, "What are you doing out there?" What you, you know, and 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 I'd talk with him and spend time with him, and he'd keep showing up, standing outside the window of my office, and and I I begin to discover. As much as I really liked him and wanted to help him, that that began to be a little bit burdensome. And, and, and the burdensome of it wasn't, wasn't uh, because I was, I was just uh, not thinking right. It was because I spent a lot of time. And I actually, and even after that, I met with him, talked with him. Uh, when we left Oregon and moved to California, he even drove one of our vehicles and helped us move down there. And we helped him get back and uh, all the stuff. You know, I mean, we, we like, genuinely cared for him and liked him and included him, literally, many ways, included him, had him over at Thanksgiving and other things. We included him into our family. But there comes a place when somebody is just so needy whether it's financially or relationally or, or whatever the need might be, that it begins to start drawing down the resource of your own life. So rather, rather it's a financial resource or rather it's an emotional, relational resource. And, and it starts to get a little burdensome and it starts kind of sucking the life out of you and that gets really hard. The overly needy are something beyond desperately needy. The overly needy are those who, who have become dysfunctionally needy. 
so that however you apply God's heart and God's word to care for them, it seems to never really help them gain any traction. And yet at the same time, they are loved of God and they ought to be loved of us. At the very same time that, that we want to care and be thoughtful and helpful, there's probably some things that we, we ought to listen to and pay attention to. Here's, here's what we read about Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, if you, as you're reading that, you notice something that probably we didn't really give you know, a lot of thought to, and it, and it is this, that Jesus didn't actually heal everybody in the multitudes. What he did do is he healed every type of, every kind of sickness and disease. So that it's a reminder to us that there is nothing beyond his ability. God can take care of whatever your need is. God can take care of it. No question about it. But Jesus, who was clothed in flesh, who was clothed uh, in humanity, just like all of us, has a, has a limitation based upon the physical structure of being human. He was tested in all points just like us. He knows what it is to get tired. He knows what it is to be weary himself. He knows all of that. What it says is, is that he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. But it doesn't, it doesn't say that he healed every single person. What it says is, though, this, that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. What does it mean when it says he was moved with compassion? Well, what it, that, that word compassion is a very powerful word. It, it, it's something way beyond sympathy. He wasn't just sympathetic. What it means is he shared in their hurt. He shared in their suffering. When he saw people hurting and suffering, regardless if they were desperate or overly needy or just kind of minorly needy, it bothered him. He hurt with them. God does weep with those that weep. He, he cries with those who are crying. He cares deeply. And not just a care, but he takes on their hurt. He shares in their suffering with them. And yet, if you discover in, in the case of even Jesus, there were people that were left disappointed because they didn't, they didn't get healed. If you take, here's a story that you might remember. Jesus is coming to the pool of Bethesda. And when he gets to the pool of Bethesda, which is on the north side of the Temple Mount, and it's right, right down below the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. And, he, and as he walks up there to the, to, to the pool of Bethesda, the Bible says there's a lot of people around this pool. We'll read it here in just a moment. There's a lot of people that are around this pool. And there, there are all kinds of sickness and stuff. And when he goes there, here's what it says. John chapter 5, verse 2 through 9. Now, there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. 
Then whoever uh, stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, "Do you want me to uh, do you want to be made well?" The sick man answered him, "Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming another steps down before me." Jesus said to him, "Rise, take up your bed and walk." And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Hallelujah for Jesus. It's the heart of God to care for, to heal, to touch people's lives. Even today, it's no less the heart of God. Even today, God can and does heal people without question. But think about what occurs here. If you just put it in, in, a, in, a, in a picture in your mind, you could see Jesus walking up. And the Bible says that this pool is crowded with a multitude of people. These people are, they're, they're sick, they're, they're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. They're all in, and they're all needy. They're all needy. And Jesus makes his way to one man. Can you see him doing this? You know, it may well be, and and it's hard for me to see him doing it because I'm thinking, no, he touches everybody. Everybody went away that day healed. Didn't say that. And because of that, you have to know that that he may well had to step over somebody who was lame. He may have had to tap a guy that was blind on and say, excuse me, excuse me, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, my friend, sorry. And And he gets by them all. He gets through the crowd. He comes to one man who was 38 years with an infirmity. 38 years and then he says to the man do you want to be well man says yeah but i can't every time an angel stirs the water somebody gets in there for in front of me because you can imagine this pool people are thinking if the first one in the pool is going to get healed so they're all inching inching as close to the water as they can i'll bet there are some people who've already got their feet in the water waiting hoping that others leave which kind of makes them even though they haven't left their hand their their feet are all kind of become prune like because they're in the water so long hoping others finally had to go home they hang out hoping that they will be considered to be the first one in the water because they want to be healed jesus comes to one man do you want to be healed oh absolutely but i can't get in the water it's all right here take my hand get up you're healed the man leaves and jesus leaves too if i'm one of the other people that had been standing around there sitting on the edge of the pool with my feet hanging in the water hoping to be healed frankly i just say well hey 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 wait a minute lord jesus don't go anywhere yet you know right here i could use a little of that i could use some of that too lord heal me too you know but but there are times in which jesus did not heal everybody at every moment that he had opportunity and it wasn't because he didn't care he had a heart of compassion he hurt for every one of them there's no question about it you see but jesus is cloaked in flesh and bone just like you are and there there's a limitation to how much flesh and bone can give out and even under the inspiration and power of the holy spirit there are times that we have to pull aside and and find a place of rest jesus had to pace himself jesus had to to monitor his own life and how he ministered to people 
And so how does that work for you and I? What do we need to know when you're dealing with people that are overly needy? It's, not, it's, it's certainly that we should, it's not a matter of not caring. We ought to care. It's, it's the call of God to. But you have to pace yourself. You have to monitor that. Lest somehow all of your resource begins to ge- uh, begin to be sucked right out of you. Observation number one is this. Offer what is needed, not just what is wanted. Offer what is needed, not just what is wanted. See, there's a difference uh, sometimes, and sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes what is needed is exactly what is wanted. Sometimes what is wanted doesn't really match what is needed. Give you an example. Peter and John are, after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended on to, up to heaven, Peter and John are going to go to a prayer meeting at the temple. Now, there's a man who was there at the temple that his, peop- his, his, his buddies, friends, and family been bringing him there for years and years so that he could beg for money. Now, first thing you should, you should note is if, if that's true, without question, there had to be times in which Jesus walked by this man and left him there unhealed. Why is that? Well, because God has a plan. He has a plan, and God has a way, and God has a timing. And, and so there had to be times that Jesus probably walked by this man, would have seen him there begging for money. But on this occasion, this occasion, Peter and John are walking past this man who's at the entrance of the doors to the temple where he is every day begging for money, and the man's begging for money. And what do we read? Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Na- uh, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He wanted money. What he got was healing. See, what he needed was healing because once he got healed, he was never going to have to come back and have friends carry him there to the door of that temple any longer. He wasn't going to have to lay there all day begging for money. Now he had the physical strength to go and make a living. That's what he needed. And so Peter and James didn't give him what he wanted. He gave him They gave him what he needed. Well, how do you know the difference? There's a couple things you can put in your notes. How do you know the difference? Well, the first thing is is this. Identify the real need. We have to identify the real need. And how do you identify the real need? Well, the very first thing is start with prayer. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. So, so pray. Ask the Holy Spirit for insight. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you, to, to awaken you. You know, the gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You know, ask God to show you what it is the real need. That's, number, that's the first thing. And, and then, um, then we just have to begin to understand, identify what the real need is. That, uh, like in, in, in the guy's case in Oregon, you know, his, he thought his need was to spend more time with me. 
The real need is he needed to, to find plenty of friends and people that he could spread out his need to be with others so that no one person was having to carry that whole load. But it, it required quite a few people. He needed to be a part of a lot of people's friends. And so what he wanted was me. What he needed, in, a, in essence, was all of you, all of us together. We all work together. Uh, for that someone else could say uh, you know I look at I I got this these car payments or 400 bucks a month I'm having trouble making my payments can you can you know uh, I I could really use $400 to help make my car payment that's what the person would want the need is that somebody would help them learn how to budget properly that that's probably the real need and so you have to begin to identify the real need not just whatever they want, because what they want might continue to serve what's keeping them needy in the first place. So we have to help that, identify the real needs. Second one is this, pay attention to action, not just words. Pay attention to action, just not just words. They may say, uh, I can't get a job, can't get a job. Yeah, man, okay, well, we'll pray about that. You know, where, where, was, where was the last one you, you applied to? Well, I can't quite remember. It was six months ago. <laughs> so, so now we have a little problem here. Actions and words aren't really lining up very well. So, so you, you ha- in order to be able to really figure out what really the need is, we've got to be able to make sure the words and the actions are lined up. We had a guy in, another guy in Oregon. We had some great, great personalities in Oregon. Among them were Dale and Marsha Maurer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. We had, we had another guy. He was kind of a mountain man. His name's Dave. And you know what? The, he's with Jesus right now, too. And, uh, but, and Dave was uh, probably right at my age. And uh, this was, of course, back in the 80s. And, and Dave, Dave, he was just a mountain man. He'd bought a piece of property up in the woods and he, and, uh, he cut down some of the trees on his property and he skinned all the bark off of them and he, and he built an A-frame, an A-frame house for himself to live in. It was, it was, and it was a one-room house and it had, uh, inside the house, he had, a, had kind of a loft in which he could go up and sleep in up on top of this loft, but it was a one, just one room. And, uh, but when you go in there, first thing you quickly observe are, are a couple things. One, there was no electricity to it. Uh, the second thing you really quickly observed is there's no floor. And I'd say, Dave, how come you don't have a floor in this place? He said, I like the feel of dirt under my feet. I like the feel of the dirt under my feet. And, and uh, well, where's your bathroom? So he showed me where his bathroom is. What he'd had is that he had gone and he'd to like, a, a, like Brown's Building Supply or someplace where you can get used stuff. And he bought a used toilet and there's, there's this, this fence line on his property. He would pull a fence post, put the toilet over the hole of the fence post hole, pour water in a tank and sit out there and take care of business outside. Now, here's what he wanted. He wanted to get married. You see, you, you, do you kind of see there might be a problem here? He wanted to get married. And I, I said, Dave, this, this, isn't, this isn't 
this isn't going to work. You've got to put a floor in this thing. You've got to get a bathroom in this thing. You've got some electricity up here. You know, there's no way that, that, uh, that that's going to happen until you do that. So he finally did that. He built a floor. He put in a bathroom. He got some electricity to the place. And guess what? He found a woman who loved him and wanted to marry him. It was incredible, you know, but, but in order for that to happen, he had to kind of start putting together actions that matched his words because there was no way. So he wanted this. I had to show him what he needed to do to make that happen. And so in order to really help people, we have to be able to, 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 be able to discern that. We have to not offer what is just needed or what is wanted, but what is needed. Observation number two, set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. This is probably one of the things that is the hardest thing for us to do because as Christians, we're trained that, that we and believe it's, it's, it's imprinted on our heart to care, to love, etc. I can't tell you how many very, very interesting things have occurred and uh, expectations on my life because uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. You have to set healthy boundaries. If you don't, then, then you're not really going to be as helpful as you think you are. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 37. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. They're all looking for you. The need is huge. There's multitudes out there. Jesus, we don't have time for a little isolation. We don't have time for you to go up to the mountain and pray. We don't have time for you to pull off to the side. That crowd out there is overwhelmed with need. They are looking for you. And some of them are getting grumpy because they want to get that done right now. You know, Jesus recognized that he needed to pull away at times. He had to. Because if he didn't, then he wouldn't be physically healthy enough himself to be able to minister to the overwhelming need that is out there. So he had to set some boundaries. And there were times that he went away even from his disciples and isolated himself where he could pray and refill his own tank spiritually. We're certainly no better than Jesus. We don't even come close to what he's capable of. So it's really the same with us. We must set boundaries. It's not a point of a lack of love to make sure you're healthy enough to still be able to do stuff to help people. When you're on an airplane, you're sitting in the seat before we ever leave. What happens? The flight attendants get in the aisles and they start going through all the stuff they're showing you. I don't know why in the world they still show us how to buckle buckles. You know what I'm thinking? Is there really anybody that doesn't know how to buckle a, a, a buckle anymore? You know, I guess there could be. So you know, they can't risk it. So they teach that, and then they tell you when if if there's a diminished oxygen in the cabin, then what'll happen is this thing will pop down all over the cabin. Now, before you try helping your neighbor, might be your child or your your elderly grandma or whoever it is, put it on your face first, then help them. Because if you go to helping them first, you might pass out before you get it on them and you both lose. So put it on yourself first. Take care of yourself first, then you'll be healthy enough to help people around you. 
Spiritually, it's the same thing. Jesus isolated himself at times, pulled himself away. People weren't happy with it. People didn't understand it. People wanted him right now. When I want you, I expect you. And you should be there. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've been in trouble for that kind of thing. Uh, because I, and I'm talking about for my wife, because I tried being everywhere all the time for, for everybody, and it was getting to be impossible. I have the best wife in the world because she put up with it. For years, she would have considered the ministry was my real mistress because I was everywhere trying to help everybody and do everything, and my poor wife got left time and time and time again, even at anniversary dinner. She cooked one day a big old anniversary dinner, put candles on the table. It was just me and her. We didn't have kids yet, and she put it all together, cooked it all up, fixed it all day. I came in that night. It was before cell phones, and I, uh, uh, so I sat down. We joined our hands to pray. It's our, I think, uh, yeah, I remember which, it was like probably our fifth anniversary we joined hands the phone rang somebody from the church needed me and needed me right then I got up without taking one single bite and ran off and left and my wife sat at our anniversary dinner all by herself all by herself years of putting up with that Can you imagine thank God I'm still married you know I have the best wife in the world you know, uh, you know, we have to start thinking about how we set healthy boundaries, lest we aren't married anymore, lest we, we have children that don't want to spend time with us. We have to have healthy boundaries. Otherwise, the need out there will overwhelm your ability to have the resources to take care of things. So, uh, have to set healthy boundaries. Uh, observation number three, we're closing. Love them enough to let them face their consequences. Love them enough to, face, to, to let them face their consequences. That doesn't mean we, sh we should not help. Yes, 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 yes. I started off by saying, look, we ought to be generous in our help. We ought to do everything we can to help. But we also have to realize that we've got to help people with what they need, not just what they want. We also have to really be wise enough to set boundaries, and there are occasions in which the best thing that we can help them with is let them deal with the consequence of, of decisions that keep going awry. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, in the New Living Translation. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. And that's that, you remember it as saying, what you reap or what you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, so also shall he reap. That's this passage. You will always harvest what you plant. And if people are planting weeds and wanting, expecting carrots and cabbage, then they're, they're, they're not going to get carrots and cabbage. And so then they're going to want you to provide the carrots and the cabbage while they keep planting leaves, the, the weeds. So we have to help them know what they really need, not just what they want. And we have to set healthy boundaries for them. And we have to figure that out. And sometimes you can say, you know what, I'm sorry, I've given you the seeds for, for tomatoes, I've given you seeds for, for carrots, I, I've given you uh, all these plants and all of that, you, you've let those things die and instead you planted weeds. 
I think maybe if you had a season of eating weeds, you might figure out that you probably should do this a little differently. You say, is that harsh? Yeah, it, it feels harsh. I don't like it. But if we don't figure that out, and if we don't follow the, what the scriptures say, we end up, end up allowing people to stay in the unhealthiness that they're in. So we have to help them with what they need, not just what they want. We have to be sure that we set boundaries or we will so drain our own lives that we'll have nothing left for those who love us and want to hang out with us like, like husbands and wives and children. We've got nothing for them left. And, and sometimes if we don't let them face the consequence of their actions, then all we're doing is ensuring they'll continue the very action that is ultimately sucking the life out of you and not helping them whatsoever. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Some, some folks are a bit challenging. It's not because they want to be that way. It's, they're that way because they've gotten into a habit or they didn't know what else to do. And, and then we just kind of tolerate that because as Christians, we think it's, we just got to help them. We, but we have to think through wisely. With the wisdom of God, how do we really help them? You know, the Bible says in one place, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. I'd say that God said there's some consequences if a guy's healthy enough. So if, if we don't figure out how to truly help people, then, then we're not really helping them. And we all know folks that are in that condition. And, and the issue is not, okay, then we, are, we, have the, we have a mandate from God or permission from God to abandon them. No, no, I, don't, I, I never said that and I never read that in the word of God anywhere. But what God does say is that we should use wisdom so that we are really able to help them, not, not just enable them to continue in a path that really isn't that healthy for them. We need God to help us in that. You know someone like that, and I'm going to pray with you that God will help you to give them the real help they need. Father, as we deal with some challenging people, we don't, I, I absolutely do not say that with any disregard of their value. Uh, it's one of the things, Lord, many years ago you did in me, that every single living, breathing soul has huge value beyond the wealth that this world has, so much so that, Jesus, you died for them. And it is your mandate to us that we care for people, that we help people, that we, we help them, give them a hand up. Not, and, and sometimes a hand up doesn't mean a hand out. Sometimes it might be both. And sometimes it might just be something they need, but not necessarily what they wanted. But it gets them going the right direction. Would you help us, Lord, to be wise so that, Lord, every time we do help, or, or at least, Lord, as, as much as is possible, when we do help, we have the resource to do so because we set healthy boundaries. We, we, we give them the right help because we've asked the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And we've, we've allowed them to learn some of the hard lessons that we ourselves have had to learn by having to, to deal with the consequences of a continual continuation of bad choices. 
so that, Lord, we truly can help some people begin to gain traction in life with you and with others so that they can live the, the life abundantly that you promised us we could have. Help us, Lord, to be wise in how we minister and how we help. And I thank you, Lord, for every person who already right now is, Lord, taking on uh, someone who's trying to help someone, to help to bless them, to help their life find a place. Lord, I thank you for that because we all, Lord, have to work together on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah for Jesus. Hopefully it was helpful to you. And uh, if we live by the wisdom of God's word, I think you'll find your help being very much the real kind of help. Would you stand? Don't forget, the cafe is open. If you have not had some breakfast in the cafe, may I encourage you to stop in there? A great time of fellowship uh, right next door in the center. God bless you. Give someone a good squeeze.